WTTM 224. This episode of Paul Berry's A Window to the Magic is brought to you by Destinations in Florida Travel. Have you received your free Disney cruise? Visit destinationsinflorida.com slash WTTM to find out how you can qualify for a free Disney cruise when you book a 2010 Adventures by Disney vacation. That's destinationsinflorida.com slash WTTM. This episode is also brought to you by Window to the Magic's brand new podcast app for iPhone and iPod Touch. Get mobile access to all Window to the Magic audio episodes, plus exclusive content such as wallpaper, bonus audio, and much, much more. This is the newest and best way to surround yourself with the magic, and it's the best $3 that you will ever spend. On a Window to the Magic podcast app, of course. Search Window to the Magic in the iTunes App Store for more information. You're listening to the windowtothemagic.com podcast. Brought to you by windowtothemagic.com. Surround yourself with the magic. Hello, and welcome to A Window to the Magic. My name is Paul, and as always, I will be your guide through the wonderful world of Disney sound experiences. This show is an audio trip through the world of the Disney theme parks and resorts, and this is the place where you get to use your ears to surround yourself with the magic. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to episode number 224 of A Window to the Magic, brought to you by DestinationsInFlorida.com, the Window to the Magic podcast app for iPhone and iPod Touch, and by listeners like you, subscribers to the Window to the Magic DVD of the Month Club. Please visit windowtothemagic.com and sign up today. I would like to start off this week by thanking everyone who has commented on last week's show, California or Bust, where Greg McNaughton and I discussed, well, basically, the fact that Southern California is just one big amusement park just really spread out. Thanks to everyone for their comments, whether they were positive or negative statements about the content. I always love to hear when you enjoy the show, but it is equally good to hear when you guys don't think that what we did was the best. This week, I'm going to bring you my very first recording that I captured while at the D23 Expo last year. Since Disney has yet to announce the dates for the Expo in 2010, just suffice it to say that there will be a Friends of the Magic event surrounding the Expo this year, and that details will follow. This week's audio is the Lost Chords event. You see, when Disney creates a film, there's more content created than actually ends up being in the final product. And so, throughout time, there have been many great pieces of music written for the Disney company that we just have never heard. Here's what the official D23 program had to say about this event. Using archival artwork, live performances by Disney employees under the musical direction of Alexander Ranney, and a special appearance by members of the Disney Employee Choir under the direction of Jim Wilbur, 
Disney's Lost Chords looks at the essential role that songwriting plays in the creation of Disney films. Now, I knew when I looked at this on the schedule that this was something I had to see. So I was in line for this one way early. And it paid off because I was dead center in the second row for this show. Enjoy this week's show as Russell Schroeder takes you into the musical chords that were lost on the way to the theater. We all up here on the stage, of course, love Disney music. I'm sure you folks do too. And it's not surprising because Walt Disney was very particular about both background scores and the songs that would help tell his stories. As a matter of fact, he once said that he couldn't even think about the pictorial part of the story and its visuals without thinking of the music that would work with those visuals to tell a story. When you go through story meeting notes that were done years before the film ever came out with Walt and story people, usually your musician was also in on those story meetings, he's frequently saying how he feels about the music for a particular scene. He never composed a, a line of music, but he did get an emotional feeling about how the music would work in his productions. Uh, when we had staff composers through the 30s and the 40s, of course, they were there right on hand. And when the artists first started sketching characters to try to figure out what they would look like, the composers were sketching characters and storylines with lyrics and melody. It went hand in hand. A film like Alice in Wonderland, which came out in 1951, had the music score being started in 1939. Those songs didn't make it into the film, but that's how important a part it was to develop and see how the story was coming together, music and visuals hand in hand. Because the music writing started so early, we have hundreds of songs that were written at the studio over the years that never made it into the films. And unfortunately, we can only do about 15 of them <laughs> today, um, but there were so many to choose from. We're going to start out with a song that was written uh, in the mid-1940s for one of the package features called Melody Time. The song is called Sing About Something, and we thought it was appropriate to start this program because it's what Disney was about. Sing about anything that's appropriate. And the last line in the song is, as long as it comes from the heart. That was important. So we're going to have uh, a group of Stacia Martin. Um, Just as 
you can see the characters look quite different than they did in the final film in 1955. But they thought Cramp could sing. So they wrote a song for him called I'm Free as the Breeze, in which he tries to tell Lady about his wonderful carefree lifestyle and lure her away from the domesticity uh, life that she knows. Uh, even Sonny Burke and Peggy Lee in 1952, when they developed the final song score, they wrote a song for Tram to sing, um, quote, I'm singing because I want to sing. But it, in the end it was decided, no, he's really not the singing type of character. <laughs> Sometimes they have a character in a movie in the early stages and then they drop them out, such as the Mock Turtle from Alice in Wonderland. This is a 1939 sketch by David Hall, and uh, Frank Churchill wrote two songs for this character. The lyrics were taken from the Lewis Carroll books, and uh, one of the songs was the Mock Turtle Soup song, and another was the Lobster Quadrille. This character stayed in the film for about eight years or more, and went through design changes from David Hall even into Mary Blair's flatter style in inspirational art, and I found four different musical settings for the song Mock Turtle Soup, but in the end, the character left the film entirely. Sometimes, songs are written for a production that doesn't get made. And because the songwriting started during the visual planning, uh, the whole song score got lost too. One of these is a film that was going to follow 101 Dalmatians in the early 1960s, and it was the story of Chanticleer. And George Bruns and Mel Levin wrote five or six songs for that film that just got filed away and forgotten over the years. Uh, one of the central characters in the story of Chanticleer is Renard the Fox. And this story sketches from a whole sequence that was drawn out uh, for the song called You Know Good Renard, which was going to be sung by his wife while they once again have to leave where they're living. They've been evicted and they pack up their meager belongings on a wheelbarrow. And I love this sketch because there's so much character information in just this one drawing. You can see Mrs. Renard is the one that has to push the wheelbarrow. She's tied to the children. And when you see Renard without a care in the world riding on top of the wheelbarrow. Sometimes art direction dictates whether a song or a whole score stays in a film or not. Uh, for Sleeping Beauty, which came out in 1959, Sammy Fain and Jack Lawrence wrote a complete original score except for one song. They did put together the Once Upon a Dream that remained in the film. But all of their other music and a song by Victor Young got dropped. And the reason was, after this kind of development work with this very humorous type approach to the characters and the scene, this is for the, the section of the film that, was, that came out to be Hail to the Princess Aurora, this song is called Holiday, and it is on the, the new DVD, with all the storyboards complete and a new recording of it. Uh, but Ivan Earl came on, and his very stylized approach to the film made Walt sit, and he's listening to the song Holiday, and he's looking at these visuals, and he said, this music no longer fits the film we're going to be doing with Ivan Earl styling. So Walt decided that not only the background score, but all of the songs should be based on the Tchaikovsky ballad. In 1940, when Pinocchio came out, it had many songs that were written for it that didn't get used. One of these was a song for the coach ride to Pleasure Island. Uh, one of the songs was called Three Cheers for Anything, and another one was called Rolling Along to Pleasure Island. 
an artistically employed choir under the direction of Jim Wilbur is going to do Lee Harleen's and Ed Washington's We're Rolling Along to Pleasure Island. Nothing stops him, he'll get through. 
sing about the workload that Cinderella has, and she's very, very busy and goes around in circles, and we feel sympathy for Cinderella through the mice singing the song. Before Mac David, Al Hoffman, and Jerry Livingston wrote their four work songs, though, in the mid-1940s, uh, Larry Morey, lyricist, and Charles Walcott, a musical director at the studio, wrote a work song also for her. They actually wrote seven songs for the film that didn't get used. Their song, too, though, has the common ingredient about Cinderella wishing to be more than one person. And <coughs> Stacia is going to sing, uh, Sing a Little, Dream a Little. Thank you. 
We can look at songs for the pictures and say how, see how they fit Walt's philosophy about the storytelling, but occasionally there are some that also seem to speak to him very personally. And Walt and his brother Roy were caught up in the patriotic fervor of World War I. Uh, Roy joined the Navy, Walt tried to join also, but he was underage. You had to be 18 to join the Navy, Walt was only 16. But uh, proving that not only is the pen mightier than the sword, but it can also be more devious, uh, Walt found out that the American Red Cross would take you if you were 17. So he took his passport and with his birth date, 1901, and he changed that last one to a zero, giving himself the necessary age to join the American Red Cross. And here he is in his uniform. You can see how young he looks. Uh, but the Shermans wrote a song for the happiest millionaire called Get Up and Go Boys. And it was going to be placed in the film when Mr. Biddle, played by Fred McMurray, appears at a society party. And he tells that he's out on this recruitment tour and uh, he's asked some questions about it by the guests, and in true musical comedy fashion, he has just waiting outside, 20 girls in drummer costumes, 20 girls as buglers, these are actual costume sketches for the film. He has a, a group of Marines to do bayonet drills, and his servant, uh, John Wallace, uh, is dressed as Uncle Sam, and he brings them all in, and they perform Get Up and Go Boys. Retired people who had worked in feature animation. 
and they didn't know anything about it. Then Dave Smith remembered that the producer, Harry Title, mentions it in his biography, one of Walt's blogs. And from that I learned that all these wonderful pastel story sketches that illustrated the film were done by Mel Shaw, uh, a veteran Disney visual artist. And I called up Mel, and he also let me know of what was behind this production. When Harry Title left the studio upon retirement shortly after the songs were written and all the storyboards were done, he left expecting that the film would be made, uh, but it never happened. It was designed to be mostly live action, and it's the tale of the city mouse and the country mouse, the, the country of the San Jacinto Mountains, and the city park was modern-day Palm Springs. We're going to be able to do one song from this. Uh, it was written by Hollywood veterans and Academy Award winners Ray Evans and Jay Livingston. And the song the choir is going to perform is called This Is Home, and it's an expression of the country mouse's feelings about his home.
Bowen, who works in our music department at the studio, and he did, as you I think you'll agree, a wonderful job at arranging the music that he never, he never heard a demo recording for, and he didn't know what was really originally intended other than what was down on the lead sheet and printed in the book that I did. So uh, I, was, I was just so moved the first time I heard the choir rehearsing what, what Marshall did with the music. Surprisingly, the Aristocats started out as a live-action film also, under Walt. But after a while, uh, Walt agreed that it could be an animated feature, and the Shermans were assigned to write songs for it. Uh, there were several songs written for, several possible songs written for Scat Cat and the Alley Cats to perform. Originally, though, Scat Cat's name was not Scat Cat, it was Satchmo Cat. And if you hear that it was Satchmo, uh, you may think, oh, I know who was the voice for that. And you'd be right, it was Louis Armstrong was slated to voice that character. Unfortunately, he got sick and couldn't do it, and then Scat and Crothers came in and, of course, did a wonderful job also as Scat Cat. But this is a song that was written by the Shermans with Louis Armstrong in mind. He was one of their favorite performers. And their father, their father Al Sherman, who was a songwriter, Louis Armstrong and Lynn Crosby were favorites of the Sherman family. So, Louis Armstrong was kept in mind and wrote, and this song was written for him to sing. There's a time to face the trouble, and a time to turn away. There's troubles only double if you win them night and day. There's a way to cool your worries that will really see you through. It'll ease the strain on your favorite brain and help your mind to just unwind when you don't know what to do. Never used this as a title song. However, 
They did, um, Oliver Wallace in 1940 did include the chorus as part of the background score for the Jitterbugging Duck Clan in Mr. Duck Steps Out. So you may think, oh, that does sound familiar. Uh, but here is the song with its lyrics, Donald Duck.
Other people who worked on the Mouse Club that contributed to the song score for The Rainbow Road to Oz were the show's producer, Bill Walsh, who also wrote the story for Mary Poppins with Don DeGrady. Uh, and he also developed the script that Walt approved for The Rainbow Road to Oz. Uh, Sid Miller, who directed The Mouseketeers, wrote some lyrics. Tom Adair, who wrote for the show, also did lyrics. Uh, in addition to them, Walt turned to his animation staff to visualize the production. And he went to some of the best in animation. Uh, story sketches were done by Joe Rinaldi and Bill Pete. And there were many visual development paintings, uh, and most of them were by a man named Art Riley. Uh, there were quite a few that pictured how the rainbow leading to Oz and the tractor that Dorothy and two of her friends travel on would get there. You can see that uh, in the Disney imagination, rainbows can be any shape at all. Even that one. I can't help thinking that when Disney Imagineers saw stuff like this, they thought, ah, theme park ride. <laughs> and, and actually, they did consider doing a part of Disneyland theme to the Oz stories. The next image we'll see is for a figure for that attraction of Ozma. The Princess of Oz. This is by Joe Rinaldi. Uh, and the little note underneath the thing that says Ozma, probably too small for you to read, uh, says that her wand, her wand will light up. So it was a, a direction for how this figure would look in the attraction. Uh, the Mouseketeers on that fourth anniversary show, many of them were costumed for the roles they would play. There's Darlene Gillespie with Walt, and Darlene was going to play Dorothy. And uh, I think you might be able to recognize who's under the cowardly lion makeup. That's Jimmy Dodd. Uh, Jimmy did not come to the studio uh, as an on-stage performer. He came the host with the Masketeers, but he came as a songwriter. And of course, one of his most famous songs is the Mickey Mouse March. Bobby Burgess was the scarecrow. Everyone's favorite Annette was Princess Ozma. And Doreen Tracy was going to play the Patchwork Girl. This character was made of pieces of a quilt that belonged to Dorothy. And uh, there was an evil purpose behind her creation. She was made without a voice because the man, that, the character that did that wanted to use her to help get uh, an emerald that Princess Ozma has. So he tells her if she will get that emerald and bring it to him, he's going to give her a voice. But when Dorothy first discovers the Patchwork Girl, she sees she's perfect in every way. She still needs a voice to sing with, which is the title of the song, Stacia as Dorothy is going to sing. Detail. 
are on this uh, ad uh, that says, you know, see Disney's newest cartoon stars. And uh, the middle one, Danny the Lamb, is cute. He appeared in a couple of books. But the other characters are rather minor as far as Disney animation is concerned, especially the spider on the right. Uh, if anyone could tell me his name, I would be surprised. <laughs> it's Scotty McSpider. <laughs> but this film that story-wise meant so much to Walt also had some songs in it that touched him personally. One of these uh, was a train song. There's a, a train called Old 99 in the film, and uh, Walt loved trains. He worked on a train as a news butcher when he was young. He enjoyed driving the train around Disneyland, and of course he had the Lily Bell, his backyard miniature railroad that he loved both building and operating. So when uh, Arthur Johnston and Ray Gilbert came up with a song called Riding on the 99, uh, I know Walt related to that one. Folks don't wait for Sunday, for Sunday is the fun day, a day without a single chore to do. They call up like termination and go down to the station and wait until the engine comes in view. I'll tell you what they're all anticipating, to climb aboard and do their Sunday celebrating on the night line. Everybody's riding on the night Sketches to illustrate the song. We have some photos 
uh, taking during a return visit to Marceline that Roy, Walt, and their wives took. And we'll have Dan Smith as our featured soloist on How Dear to My Heart.
for your organization for giving us this opportunity to make this performance. Thanks. Very much. Amazing stuff, eh? I thought so. If you want to pick up a copy of the book, Lost Chords, I suggest doing a search on Amazon for Lost Chords Disney. There seems to be a few on there. So I hope that you enjoyed this week's show. I recorded a few other things while I was at the expo last year, and they'll come eventually. Maybe. It depends on my mood, really. But for now, I would like to thank you all for listening to A Window to the Magic, as we enjoy our fifth year of bringing you the best audio adventures from throughout the wonderful world of Disney. As always, I would like to thank the Window to the Magic DVD of the Month Club members and those who have purchased the Window to the Magic podcast app and the fine folks over at destinationsinflorida.com WTTM for helping to make the magic happen. We always appreciate your feedback, so be sure to email or call us soon. Email us at podcast at windowtothemagic.com. Call us at 206-984-9886. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash WTTM. And you can add us as your friend on Facebook. Remember to visit iTunes to subscribe to the Window to the Magic family of podcasts and to purchase the Window to the Magic podcast app for iPhone and iPod Touch. Just search WTTM in iTunes and you will find everything there. Be sure to join us again next week as we continue to celebrate the Disney Sound Experience. But for now, this has been A Window to the Magic, show number 224. And I'll see you next time. This podcast is a member of the Friends of the Magic family of podcasts. For information about this show and others like it, please visit friendsofthemagic.com and click on the podcasts link on the main page. Some days you eat the bear, and some days the bear eats you. But always dress for the hunt! Come to Loose! Surround yourself with the magic. Oh!